0: Hey everybody! Welcome to tonight's late night happy hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined tonight by a great NFL writer from the Ringer, Kalen Jones. Kalen, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, sure. And this is—it's a, a good night to have you, not just because like last week's NFL week was interesting on a ton of levels. There's some good ones coming up uh, this week as well. But also as a as a local guy, you have roots out here. <laughs> You know, Dodgers win Game One of the World Series. Like this is an exciting time for uh for a Southern California in Texas. By the way, you're oh, in- yeah. where you connection. are. <laughs> so I mean, you're
2: you are connected to this thing, Kalen. Any way you slice it, you're in the middle of it.
1: That is a good point. I didn't think about that. You know, they, they are playing up in Arlington, not too far away. But yeah, I mean, like, I, I grew up in Southern California. So I covered the Dodge at one point for a brief second. So, you know, there's sure. some type of connection, you know, watching them play, you know, even from afar. And then with the Lakers winning, you know, earlier this month, like, it's, there we go. it's time to be all a sports fan.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's it's weird to think of right now as a good time to be a blank. Like it doesn't really feel like a great time to be much right. of anything at the moment, but right now, I mean, it's it it might as well just be part of the weirdness of 2020 that one team could feel like they cornered the market on sports success, but LA has that opportunity.
1: Yeah, they definitely do them I in mean, Tampa Bay because I mean, if you count that's, like it, the Lightning winning, I want that's, to bring up. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. It's pretty crazy. Like you, you know, you have Tampa Bay winning potentially, you know, a World Series and. A NHL championship after, you know, they kind of uh, casted their demons aside. The same with the Dodgers. Like,
2: yeah, know? but if it happens in Florida, though, I feel like that offsets any 2020 weirdness because Florida's just weird anyway. Like, that that feels almost too yeah. on the nose, yeah. like if it happens with something connected to Florida. Like, that, I want the writers to be a little more predictable of this 2020 script, you know? <laughs> but the flip side is too, and we'll get into this a little bit because what's one of the questions I want to ask because it, it is...
0: Uh, Conceivable as well that the Super Bowl could end up a you know, it could that the Super Bowl could either be a Tampa Bay win or it's not out of the question the Rams could end up in the Super Bowl. It's two pretty decent enough teams, like across every single sport that we have. Basically, it's coming down to LA or Tampa. And I feel like anything good that happens in Florida basically lets 2020 win.
1: I mean, yes and no, but I, I, I'm not, I'm pretty amazed at like the fact that, you know, there's the potential for, you know, Tampa Bay and Florida to experience all the success. I mean, even, even the NBA championship was in Orlando, so it's like all this good stuff that's happening. Yes. So, yeah,
0: I yeah. just, I don't, I don't know where you land on, on Florida slander, Kalen, but I, I have long considered Florida to be the worst of all the real States. Um we have some filler. It's you know like any major conference we have some teams that are there to kind of fill out the numbers. Yeah. Um your Dakotas, <laughs> you know, your Idaho's, you just you know you need to fill space, you got to get up to a certain number. But Florida is a real state. It has a right. you know, real consequence. There are people there and it matters and it's just awful. I mean it's it's just a terrible place. Um filled I with love ridiculous this. people. Um so I apologize if you have deep connections there.
1: Uh, oh Affinity's no, no, no. One space. of my okay. closest friends who works for the Rays uh, is a huge Rays fan, huge Lightning fan. So she's, you know, kind of enjoying all of this Tampa success. And I tease her about Florida all the time, you know, since we were in college. So this is beautiful. You know, I have a Tam- few other friends. Yeah. You know,
2: Tampa's <laughs> a weird Tampa's a weird city in general. Like I, I've not been to Tampa in years. But the last time I was there, it was I was covering spring training, I, th- I think for ESPN the magazine, and I was in Tampa for probably four or five days. And by the time I left, I realized there is nothing in Tampa other than strip clubs and freeways. Like there's literally it's freeways nothing. under construction. <laughs> yes, all <laughs> under construction. Like it, it made it made L.A. look like it had three roads. Like, I mean, really, it was it was insane. Like, just everything was a freeway. It's kind of like Houston actually is kind of like that, too. Houston, I don't think if you're not familiar with that city, you don't realize mm. just how much freeway action there is down there.
1: Yeah, no, my first time in Houston, you know, as an I guess as an adult, like I went there as a kid once. But my first time as an adult was last year, you know, for a Texas Rice game and just being around like a Reliant Stadium. There's. Freakways, all over the place but you know I, I can't remember I don't think I've been to Florida since I was like five or six years old for You're like good. a cruise so forgive me <laughs> I, can, I can I can slander Florida because of the people I know there not because I've been there but
0: yeah well that's that's, that's I just it's it, you yeah, know that bugs bunny cartoon where they, he just saws Florida off. Awesome.
1: yep that's, that
0: is I think exactly the right way to handle Florida generally my wife disagrees she went to college in Orlando she likes the place.
2: Um, it is, it's just something we don't agree on. It's Um, just Florida. Look, here's the thing. Everybody in Florida isn't bad. Not saying that there are some lovely people from Florida. We know there are millions and millions of people there. They can't all be terrible. George Sedano is our friend. He's a great guy from Miami. Yeah. Yeah, There's plenty of great people in Florida, but as a collective, especially like the last 20 or 30 years, Florida has been way more trouble than it's worth. Like, if you, if you just look at sort of like cost effectiveness, Florida is off the charts,
1: right? Not worth it. <laughs> I'm glad we're just deciding to cast away Florida, you know, <laughs> yeah. right okay. off the bat, right before the election, too. No worries. Just yeah. like, well, I mean, way. not in a fun, happy
2: way either. Like, they're, Florida, they're just not, yeah, they're just not be some type of hijinks with Florida in this election. I, I mean, I think that feels like a safe bet. yeah what are you gonna do
1: that's not a bad bet at all
0: so you you are you're a, a chino hills product
1: i am yeah so i grew up in chino hills you know before it became the ball territory where you know i grew up to the smell of cow pastures literally right down the hill where Chino Hills high school is now so it's crazy going back you know where there's million dollar apartments and stuff like that now it was a upper you know middle class upper middle class area now it's rich people so it's pretty fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, how, 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 uh, uh, go ahead.
2: I'm sorry. I was just going to say the wide open, it, at least to my recollection, I haven't been there in a long time, but my recollection is it was at least pretty wide open in terms of what was there to develop stuff like that.
1: Oh yeah. There, there were signs literally like right outside the 71, right across the street from Chino Hills, like high school. Now there are literally buildings and restaurants and cafes and stuff. I'm like, man, I wish I would have had that growing up, you know, I was walking home from school to empty, you know, fields where, you know, you had the real, saying, oh, you know, we're developing this land and nothing really ever happened. then you go back four years later and you're like, I wish I would have had that as a kid. But, you know, it, it's pretty, it's, it's fascinating. You know, you see the growth of a city kind of coincide with, you know, it's, you know, being associated with the ball family.
0: That's that my self. question. Like, so <laughs> what was that like? Like to see your hometown like become that place cuz i mean they I, I don't like i don't think anything was ever written about that family without you know chino hills chino hills and then you know the the reality show and all that so what as a person from there what was that like
1: it it was surreal because i i grew up so this is the thing i i was a junior when lonzo ball came in and he immediately okay. took the basketball team you know from being really competitive to you know competing for state titles. And so I didn't get to see the full formed, you know, ball family trio. I saw Lonzo and LeAngelo through the first two years. I saw them play against, you know, Modern Day and I believe the Open Division final, which was a really fun game, but you know, watching it from afar when I my first couple of years in college, you hear friends saying, "Oh, Chino Hills and Lonzo ball." And you're like, people are actually like they know of your hometown. It was a fairly big city, but it was put on the map by the ball family. Like there's no question about it, in my opinion. Uh,
2: there is no question. I mean, I, I've lived in LA for 30 years and I I don't remember Chino Hills being discussed for really anything on a regular basis, you know, from, from a Southern California perspective, until the ball family blew up. I mean, honestly, the thing I really associated Chino with most was a prison and you oh, know yeah. they, like you know <laughs> yep, chino is <laughs> yeah and i mean chino's depicted in every like every either cop movie cop tv show uh anything that involves people in southern california that would be sent to jail it's basically chino or pelican uh pelican bay like in, if you're going to be relatively in the area i mean that that but like that's mostly what i knew chino for was was just the jail
1: yeah, that was the only thing that we really had. And then I think what what was the bikini girl on American Idol, if you look back, like 2000, somewhere between like 2005, 2010. I don't even remember what year it was, but that was our claim to fame until the Ball family. And then there was a lottery winner, you know, in 2015, <laughs> 20, when they had that billion-dollar lottery and someone in Tennessee didn't claim theirs. And someone at, uh, at the 7-Eleven across the street from um, – I used to work at a wing stop. It was literally across the street and I, I was like kicking myself. I was back in school. I was like, man, if I had just bought a lottery ticket, there's a chance I could have won. But that, that was kind of the boom, you know, Okay.
0: what's <laughs> the best, not to get too far afield here. What's the best thing. This to me is like a trivia. Well, what is the best thing on the menu at Wingstop?
1: stop? It's a trick oh, question. Oh man, that, that is a trick question. I haven't been to wing stop in a minute, but my favorite thing to eat was the, the wet lemon pepper. Like okay. once I, I, I would You're make that will. in the mild, Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> my answer. My answer is the French fries. I think the fries at Wingstop yeah. are cosmically good. They might be the most underrated, underknown French fries. I mean, is Wing, Wingstop's just I I don't know where they are, but like wherever you can. I mean, they're incredible. Yeah, everywhere,
1: yeah, they it's are crazy incredible. The seasoning on it, it's like it's, it's gotta it's gotta have some sugar in it because it's salt, but it, there's a little sweet touch with it i don't know how to explain it but it tasted pretty good for They're sure incredible well, i mean it was, it was good it was good
2: enough for Lou williams to deal with a court you know uh, a punishment i oh, my, yeah. fa- my favorite part of all of that is just how transparently few regrets Lou williams had about that like you could just see it's like no nah, i'd do it exactly the same yep, if i had yep. another opportunity i just wouldn't bring that one that one uh, jack guy. harlow i just yeah, wouldn't jack bring harlow. jack harlow but Given the chance, I would do it exactly the same again. Oh well. Hey
1: man, anything for lemon pepper wings. I used to sneak them out after work, so I get it. I get
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, like you had to actually smuggle out wings, they wouldn't like let you yeah, they have wouldn't a couple, let, I mean or... they'd
1: let you have some for lunch, but they wouldn't let you take a whole for you know, like a whole case from work, I would take like oh, eight well, or ten. I'm okay, sure that my reasonable. manager didn't like me for it, but yeah,
2: that's that's fair actually. Um, I, I, just, I noticed by the way, too, with uh looking at the Chino Hills uh Wikipedia entry, mm-hmm. notable people from Chino Hills, Lonzo Ball, LaMelo Ball, Leangelo Ball, no mention of LeVar. <laughs> that is going to be upsetting to the Ball family patriarch. That he I'm is surprised. not. That he's not uh, included with the Chino Hills uh, alumni.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, he he kind of, and honestly, he was the whole reason why it became a thing. So this is the thing with Levar. He would show up. This is what I saw. He would show up to the games. You know, his whole family dressed in all white, front uh, front row of the game. He'd be barking out instructions to the team. You know, while the coach was coaching. But so he would basically be coaching me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Would not have seen that coming.
1: It was wild. It was wild to see. And you know what's even crazier? Like, the reason why, you know, so many, at least for me, this is why I knew Lamel was going to be, you know, better, at least in LeAngelo, and arguably better than Lonzo, because at halftime, you know, he, was, he wasn't he was in high school. He was, like, 11, 13 years old, maybe. Um, you know, like, you know, when kids just kind of on at halftime, they kind of just screw around and shoot hoops. It would be him versus, like, 11, like I kid you not, like double-digit kids would be trying to steal the ball from him. He'd just be casually dribbling through all of them and laying the ball up. And it would be sure. a halftime show. It, was, pretty it good. was crazy. And I was like, that kid is going to be better than Lonzo Ball. And I don't know if he will be now, but <laughs> at the time, I was thinking it.
2: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting uh, to see where he ends up getting – I mean, he's going to end up a top-five pick. It's just really a question of where and what team needs him. And, and also, too, I mean, you know, how much any of those teams are skittish at all about you know, having to do that dance with Lavar? I mean, you're, you're seeing both Lonzo and LaMelo distancing themselves from him professionally yeah. and personally. What I also think is really interesting about LaMelo, and, and admittedly, I, I have not seen a lot of you know, footage of him in Australia or whatever or Lithuania, but if you look at the scouting reports of LaMelo, his, his perceived strengths and weaknesses are pretty much exactly how I remember Lonzo being talked about,
1: yeah.
2: like in, in terms of the things that he does well, the things that he doesn't do well at all, um, the, the issues finishing at the rim, but just incredible court vision. LaMelo, I think, is considered have, having like a better handle you know, heading into the draft. But the similarities as players, at least from what I've read and what I remember with Lonzo, it's pretty striking.
1: Yeah, no, like, the biggest thing that I've noticed, like, from reading, again, like, reading scouting reports, because I wasn't waking up to watch, you know, Australian basketball, but from what I've seen, even the highlights, like, his shooting ability is a little bit sketchier than Lonzo's even, like, his field goal percentage I've read is, like, the biggest detriment to his scouting reports and everything else, but I don't know if he figures it out in the NBA, like we'll see, but he definitely can create, and I think that's, like, the one thing that is for sure going to keep him in the league, he can create. Yeah, and he's 6'6". Yeah, I mean,
0: Lonzo's going to play for a long time. Lonzo's going to have a, a yeah, decade-plus well, career. It's just going to be a question of what it is, um, which is, you know, that it, it, it's it's like a lot of guys in a lot of sports. I mean, we, we look back on different players. You know, Marvin Williams got crushed at the beginning of his NBA career for not being drafted ahead of Chris Paul. But, like, you look around, Marvin Williams still playing basketball. But he's still there. Like it's hard yeah. to call the guy a bust. He's had like a, exactly. I don't know what is it, like a fourteen year career at this <laughs> point. So I mean, actually okay that actually is a great seg to one of the guys I really wanted to talk about tonight. Um, hmm. And we got a I got like a whole like board of of NFL oh, that I want <laughs> to hopefully we can get to. But the, th- that's a great seg to Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill oh, wow. sucked. Like he wasn't arguably necessarily even that good in college when he was a quarterback at A and M, he gets to the NFL and he sucks. And you know, a couple good moments here and there, a couple decent fantasy games here and there, but he's not very good. Goes to Tennessee, and he's amazing. What happened there? Like, why is Ryan Tannehill suddenly
1: awesome? Well, I mean, long story short, he got away from Adam Gase. You know, that that would be the short answer, <laughs> to put it, you know, simply. But, I mean, he's benefited so much from, you know, Mike Vrabel and the system that they have there. And they're willing to run the ball. I mean, that's obviously been their bread and butter. But he just looks so much comfortable from the pocket, you know. Like, he just has such a command of their offense. You know, I, there there was a throw where he fitted it up the seam the last week against Houston where, I, I you know,
0: Oh, to I didn't like, tight yeah, end.
1: I didn't like admitting Ryan Ryan Tannehill for me is like how Josh Allen is for a lot of people. I did not want to admit Ryan Tannehill was good. I thought last season was a fluke. At this point, it's not a fluke. I mean, these throws that I mean, he he's putting throws on the money, and he, he's a pretty he's a he's a great quarterback at least right now. I will say uh, that. <laughs> uh,
2: Jay Watson uh, 0984, says Adam Gase was to Tannehill what Jeff Fisher was to Jared Goff. There is perhaps a connection there. There is perhaps a good comparison (laughs) because Jared Goff, I mean, I'm not saying he was happy Jeff Fisher got fired. Oh, I'll do it. I'll say it. Jared Goff was happy Jeff Fisher got fired. Oh, I was going to say, happy or not happy, he was certainly relieved, if nothing else, because that dude was not helping Jared Goff develop. I'm going with happy. Sticking with that.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, Look at what McVeigh has been able to do. Is you know t- simplify the game, really make it a one-read game, really implement a lot of heavy play action. I mean, and a lot of motion too. Just kind of help out and kind of you know coddle Jared Goff, and that's really been knock on him, which is at this point honestly it's a fair knock. But you know when he's executing at a high level, he's on. He's he can be pretty deadly accurate when he's on. But once you make him in, go into that second, third, fourth read and kind of scramble him, then he's questionable and kind of liability within that offense. But again, what Sean McVay, you know, really, he should get more credit as, you know, a play call. We, you know, we were calling him the next great thing just two years ago, leading the Rams to the Super Bowl, but he's kind of doing it again this year. They're ranked really highly in a lot of advanced metrics, especially, you know, DVOA, I believe they have the top rank rushing attacking, though know, they've kind of been recycling running backs in. So, you know, it's it's been a beneficial system for God. You know, based on what they're able to do on the ground. So but you McVay are you choice. are
0: somewhat golf skeptical because this is a this is an argument that Andy and I have a lot. Both of us, I don't think Jared Goff sucks. I don't think he's a bad quarterback okay. or whatever. I, I think he's a, he's a good quarterback um, and capable, literally, of taking a team to a Super Bowl. We know that. I just i I still can't quite figure out how good he is. Like, is he in that sort of? solid second tier guys who you know sometimes play like the elite dudes is he really more of a middle of the pack kind of elevated by good guy i still can't quite figure out how good he is andy thinks he's better than i do how good do you think he is just like if you had to put him somewhere in the rest of the league
1: yeah i i put him in that you know on the bottom of that second tier creeping into that third but look at, you know, I hate kind of generalizing things, but there's a reason why these guys, you know, this is just sports in general. This is my thoughts, but like, you know, athletes are professional athletes because they are capable of, you know, playing at potentially elite levels, or, you know, some guys may not be able, but they are, you know, in the 1% of the 1% percentile. So when they play well, maybe it's surprising, but also they're there because they're there. That being said, like Jared Goff, you know, I, I think that because he relies so much on the system, you know, in place, and everything being so structured, I think there's a cap potentially to what he can do. Like, but within that system, he's able to you know perform at an elite level. But it's because it's kind of a byproduct of what Sean McMahon is able to kind of structure around him. So because he's capped, he's not you know Patrick Mahomes where you know he can freelance and the you know play breaks down. Everything he can create on his own. But when he executes at a high level, it's it's pretty damn
0: good. <laughs> I mean, like the Cowboys
2: game, for example, he's just exactly.
0: on fire. The
2: second half of the Buffalo game, things like that. It's really hard, I think, too, for for quarterbacks to try to to improvise or you know to really have that ability to make something out of nothing. If you're not mobile, and and, and Jared Goff just is. I, I used to say all the time when I first saw him run a, as a rookie, I was like, "Has he ever run in his life? Like literally run, like the action of running." He looked like he'd never done it before. <laughs> like he's he's just he's he was he's gotten better at it. But for a while, I was like, that guy is one of the most shockingly inept runners of any kind I've ever seen. But and, and I think that because if you look at a lot of, especially in the modern NFL, the the guys who are I guess at tier one or the the right. upper end of tier two, they're pretty much all mobile. Like you, there aren't that many quarterbacks that that you look at now succeeding in the modern NBA, the, I mean, modern NBA, NFL that weren't sort of grandfathered in from their past success that that right. can't run on any level, even if they're not running quarterbacks, you know, they're, they're mobile and that's going to make it really difficult. I think for, for a guy like Goff to maybe get past a certain point, just because there's a certain lack of improvisation that even if he can read what's happening his legs can't match his yeah, Even
0: Aaron Rodgers at, at, how old was he, 37 now? He's, you know, an old guy. Yeah. He's still pretty shifty back there.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's it's important. Like, the game has just shifted so much. And again, like, the element of a quarterback being able to, you know, extend a play with his leg, you know, it's it's super invaluable. Like, there, there really is no accounting for a quarterback that's able to create, you know, when a play, you know, breaks down or, you know, a defense has perfect coverage. You know, there's just that extra element when you have a Patrick Mahomes, when you have a Lamar Jackson, when you have a Cam Newton, when you have guys who are able to, you know, effectively stand in the pocket and operate as a passer. But then if nothing's open, they're able to take off like Russell Wilson, for example, just takes off and, you know, 10, 15 yards. Kyler Murray, we saw literally last night, only had nine completions. But because of what he was able to do with his feet, you know, they ended up running away with the game.
0: He is so fucking fast. Oh my god! <laughs> it's his feet. It's it's, it, it it's unbelievable. Like they weren't good in that game, and they still. I mean, and we'll get to the NFC Easter in a minute. I mean, because that's just a. I mean, it's a tire yeah. fire. But so okay. So other than the obvious example, I guess of Sam Darnold, uh, who is now the person most influenced by Adam Gase, or I guess Joe Flacco. Who else do you think is running around the league right now? Because Andy and I talk about this all the time. Like context, where you get drafted, like what might Josh Rosen have been in a different place at a different time or whatever. You know, particularly with quarterbacks, it can happen. Who else is running around the league that actually probably is really good? Do you think that is that is is kind of been Tannehill? Like, I wonder how many other people are like this that not could just be successful somewhere else, but Ryan Tannehill looks like an all pro top five guy right now in the league.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good question. As far as like, it, I don't know if there's a quarterback right now who's getting Tannehill because I'm like, my, my immediate reaction was like, Oh, maybe it's, maybe it's Baker, May-, but Mayfield is kind of the problem in himself. Like that's the mm-hmm. thing. He isn't being held back. He's holding himself back. Um, man, that was a tough question because uh I don't know if there's really too many that I can think of off the top of my head where I'm like, wow, the system is completely failing them as opposed to them kind of not just having it. Here's an interesting suggestion (laughs) from from the kid. But Jameis, like (laughs) Jameis' numbers last
0: year with Tampa were statistically in a lot of ways incredible, except he had what, like 32 turnovers or so? 38 turn, It's like 30 30 interceptions and 8 fumbles. Something insane. (laughs) So how good is Jameis Winston?
1: See that's the thing. Like he's my editor and I, Riley, Katie. Um, like he, he and I were talking about this early. Like how you know players kind of sacrifice sacks. Like or at least quarterbacks sacrifice sacks for being able to create. Like Jameis Winston, there. There's a three leg prong. I believe that I forget who refer or who created this. You know analogy. But quarterbacks have to sacrifice either interceptions, uh, sacks, or incompletions. And what Jameis sacrifices is the interceptions, because otherwise he's an otherworldly quarterback. He throws the ball deep downfield. He's willing to be aggressive, makes a lot of plays and creates like he's a really good quarterback. But at the same time, he beats himself by, you know, being willing to take these chances and kind of force the ball in when he shouldn't. So it's kind of I think like his potential, you know, his ceiling has always been super, super high. That's why he's number one. But at the same time, his his floor is just so low because of the vol- the validity or his play just being so volatile. You know, it, it's unfortunate, but that's the reason why he's kind of in New Orleans right now, trying to figure out how to cut down on the turnovers. I don't know if that ever will happen because it's just a, kind of a part of his game. He's a super aggressive guy.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. You wrote a really good piece about Baker Mayfield uh, coming off the pretty disastrous performance that Cleveland had mm-hmm. over over the weekend against Pittsburgh, and Baker Mayfield. Admittedly, was playing with a rib issue, but he didn't look good in this game, and he's been all over the place this season. I mean, he hasn't been necessarily awful in every game, but he hasn't been anywhere close to consistently good. And he's, as you point out, he's not just not elevating the Browns like this gap in that division between Cleveland and everyone else. Whether you're talking about Pittsburgh and and Baltimore now, or like. Cincinnati down the road with Joe Burrow like the gap just keeps getting enhanced and it just beyond Cleveland having to figure out how to make Mayfield better assuming he can be better it just speaks to the issues that teams can have when they pick a supposed franchise quarterback high and they miss like like really miss and and like I looked back on that draft Cleveland could have taken Josh Allen 7th you know or taking him he went 7th or they could have traded up late in the first round to get Lamar Jackson they had the first pick in the second round which they used on Austin Corbett who's not even on the team he's anymore. A ram. Yeah, he's he's on Ram and and well, Allen and Lamar Jackson had doubters too, um, you know, Lamar Jackson in the eyes of some people should have been a receiver. But it, right. you also look at the rest of that class and nobody else is panning out at quarterback either. Sam Darnold's struggling, Josh Rosen's barely in the league. Mason Rudolph is probably the next best guy. And then you look at Cleveland and say, oh, what if they just taken Saquon Barkley second? And then they could have drafted their small quarterback number one overall next year with Kyler Murray. Although who knows if Kyler Murray ends it's, up yeah. underwhelming in that organization yeah. too, because Cleveland just has a history of struggling to do anything with quarterback.
1: That's the thing. You know, like uh, you know, I, I know that, you know, we ripped in the Baker a little bit in, in that piece, but, you know, it's just highlighting the fact that, you know, he's until he plays at the level that, you know, Cleveland drafted him to play at, they're just not going to be able to close that gap. He's literally the missing piece. When you look at the way that the Browns have constructed their roster, you know, the missing piece is an elite quarterback. And to this point, he just hasn't played at that level. When you have an Odell Beck and when you have a, a Jarvis Landry, when you have arguably one of the best run, rushing attacks in the entire NFL, you should be playing at a high, higher level. You should be able to elevate your teammates. You know, Other, aside from the Washington game, personally, I haven't seen a game where I've been like, "Wow, Baker Mayfield was on one." You know, outside of even the Cincinnati game, and that was, you know, they only won that by I believe like one or two possessions, and it wasn't a great, you know, runaway matchup, and it really had to do with what they were able to do on the ground. So. You know, until Baker Mayfield, you know, kind of takes that next step. I think that there's a little, there's something to be said for them. You know, one getting blown up by Pittsburgh because, again, their front seven has been arguably, not even arguably, undisputedly like the best front seven in the entire NFL this year. And then at the same time, this is, I believe, his fifth or sixth game. You know, playing with Kevin Stefanski, he was injured. I mean, he made a horrible read. But I understand, you know, if you start the play and you're making your first read, don't see the cover one safe or the robber safety come down. I I get that. You know, it's kind of it's inexcusable, but I get it. Playing quarterback sounds extremely hard. Um, But, you know, like I I think that down the road, there's a chance for him to figure it out. I wasn't personally that high on, on Mayfield when he was drafted by the Browns. But, you know, I think that he can at least be serviceable and maybe, you know, have a Kirk Cousins type season where like, you know, back in what, 2017, 2016, where he's super efficient. And that was kind of what they were hoping by hiring Kevin Stefanski, where you have a lot of play action, utilizing your deep threats. They, it just hasn't come together yet. And I think, you know, they just need a little bit more time. So I wouldn't close the book completely on it.
0: What, so the thing about him that that I think is is definitely worth conversation is so much of what made him Attractive as a draft prospect was intangible stuff. He's a winner. You know, he just knows how to win. He leads. He does all these, and you know, ignored some of the physical. I mean, Kyler Murray is teeny weeny little itty bitty fella, but he also like good luck tackling him. Like you you know, he's so small. He's gonna you know, yeah. If you get a clean hit on him, like she's he'll probably take four clean hits in the first five years of his career. His, His legs Mayfield. are also massive. Yeah. Kyler Murray's legs are like <laughs> Derrick Henry legs. Like they're, they're
2: really thick it's now. He's, just, degrees, a, he's yeah. just a
0: little guy, but like good, but he can throw. He's got a great, you know, really powerful. Like the tangibles on Baker Mayfield aren't uniformly nope. good. He's not yep. super fast. He's not, doesn't have a cannon arm. I mean, nope. so why, why do teams get. I guess, so why do they get swayed by one part of the equation and ignore the other? Or why do they ignore all the intangibles, to forget the intangibles and only stick to the tangent? The guy's got a great canon army, 6'6". Six, six. Okay, but he can't read it. You understand what I'm getting at? Like, how do they... Oh, yeah. It's, how do they yeah. get this wrong so much?
1: Because it's such an inexact science. I mean, mm-hmm. even with Josh Allen, you know, like that, that was... That's been the crazy part this year, right? You know, Josh Allen went from being you know, incompetent, you know, goofy, athletic, super talented guy, but just wasn't able to maximize. On it list. To, I mean, he's, he's figured it out this year. It's crazy. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it comes down to, you know, players being comfortable in their systems. You know, we forget that Baker Mayfield, I believe he's on his third different coach or coordinator, mm-hmm. in, you know, the past three years. So there's something to be said with, for continuity, especially in, you know, COVID-19 season where they literally didn't have a real off season. Didn't have time to get really acquainted outside of you know doing Zoom calls like this. So I think there's something to be said there. But as, as far as like hitting your question, I think that you know the it factor. You know, I, I'm sure that they thought that Baker Mayfield had it. I mean, Tom Brady is like that. You know, where Tom Brady, at least my, by my perception, he's not the most talented quarterback I've ever seen play the game. Great feet, great footwork in the pocket, super accurate. But you know, his arm, his arm strength hasn't always been all that. Aaron Rodgers has all that, but, you know, he has only won one Super Bowl. Tom Brady has six. So, I mean, you know, I guess, like, you look for that leadership factor. I'm sure that, you know, there's something about – like, it, there's something to be said for someone having an aura, is what I'm essentially saying, when you go for guys who don't have those tangible traits, you know. I was watching Baker Mayfield stick, you know, his flag, you know, in a, the OU flag in Ohio State's middle – you know, midfield. Like, it riles people up. It's It's something, you know, the kind of rally behind. It's interesting. And I'm yeah, to I know. mean,
2: and Mayfield, that that personality that you're talking about, and yeah. he he was very very outspoken and brash, and he entered the league very clearly looking to maintain that as part of his persona, and that only works at this level if you're winning, and in particular if you're a reason that the team is winning, and I've never met Baker Mayfield, I have no idea whether or not. That persona has is something that's distracted him, or you know, if it's led to him being unfocused, or well, if it's I mean, led we to him- heard
0: you know, we heard Colin, you know, the, the clip of Colin this week. Oh, he makes too many commercials, he's not focused on like, and not, I don't even think that stuff matters necessarily, but that now is the perception to Andy's yeah, point. That's what I was curious enough about football.
2: That's what I was going to say. It's like, wh- whether I mean. Th- those those type of criticisms can be, you know, ridiculous. Uh, I mean, due respect to his career and all that. but like Colin Coward's obsession with quarterbacks wearing backwards hats is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's just
1: it's yeah. it's
2: just.
0: Well, I, actually, that's not true. Kalen, do you know, like, is there, you know, uh, an analytic on that? Like, do we know by chance whether or not backward hat quarterbacks <laughs> do actually <laughs> underperform compared to the forward hat wearing
1: quarterbacks? I wish I knew because that would be a fantastic and I'm sure that it would go against, you know. Somebody Kyle has to attract draw. this.
2: Sure. <laughs> Someone has to look this up. But I mean, but. Baker Mayfield allows he allows for that perception yeah. that you know that he isn't focused enough or that he sort of is looking to create the brand before there's actually something behind it. I mean, it, it's in a lot of ways similar to what I, I I think went on with Big Baller Brand, where and and I don't put this on Lonzo or or the other two kids as much as I put on Lavar, but just the idea of like you're looking to create the brand before there's actually something that would sell the brand. But yeah. but in fairness to uh, Baker Mayfield, like you had said before, he's had a lot of chaos around him, and the, the stability or lack thereof of the organization makes a difference or the stability of your opportunities. I, I would love to see Josh Rosen just get an opportunity in a stable organization because he, he hasn't had that at all. And, I mean, maybe it wouldn't make a difference, but I'd like to at least see what it looked like.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I saw Rosen in high school, and I thought he was second coming. <laughs> so I, I agree with you there. I still think he has a shot, you know, being with Tampa Bay. But, like, as far as, like, Mayfield, you know, for a lot of people, like, reception and perception is more important than your intention. Like, so, I saw a friend, you know, mention that earlier today. Like, it, it's unfortunate, and It's it's not fair. Like, you know, Baker Mayfield shouldn't be perceived for, you know, what he's doing outfield. Dak Prescott does the same exact thing, and he was literally, you know, on pace to set all the NFL records for passing yards this year. So, I mean, you, we can pick and choose about, like, whether or not athletes should be maximizing their brands and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, the performance is important. And at the end of the day, that's what they are ultimately paid to do. They're paid to be court NFL quarterbacks. So, you know, the criticism is somewhat justified. And, I mean, to this point, you know, I, I think that Baker Mayfield, you know, has, again, I, I, to repeat it, like he still has the potential to be what he was drafted to become because – like you're mentioning, Andy, like the infrastructure is there now. Maybe it wasn't there earlier in this career, but it's there now. I think Stathansky is a great coach. I think that they have, you know, direction as a franchise. It's just that they still need to close that gap against Pittsburgh and Baltimore. I don't know if they do it this year, but, you know, the core of the franchise is there. The roster is good. I think that Mayfield just needs, you know, kind of figure things out and ultimately also get help. You know, so
0: we've seen we've seen Chicago, for example, pull the plug on the Mitch Trubisky experience, and you know, in favor of Nick Foles, who at least you know, in the little bits of red zone that I've been catching, hasn't looked. First of all, he's not on very often.
2: Um, and I watched all of Chicago, Carolina on Sunday. He he why? was awful because I had fantasy implications. But Chicago, red zone, I, red
0: zone solves all of that.
2: I, I don't have red zone. I do have oh, you, fantasy implications. So uh, I was watching. Good lord, man! I was watching Carolina, and I was watching. Uh, because I I, I I had oh. Chicago's defense, and I had Allen Robinson. Football, so for with me, out, yeah. football without red zone now is not that. Well, this was an Actually, exciting game period, for me, man. man. Both sides of the ball. This game was exciting. What are you talking about?
1: Yeah, all the Chicago Bears games have been in. They've literally played every single game as finished within a once one possession game. So. Yeah, like
0: 17 to 14. <laughs>
1: <Like> these, <laughs> these are not exciting
0: football games. But like, you know, Foles hasn't looked good. They, but like, it's easier to walk away from Trubisky, who's had some good moments and some pretty bad ones. You know, I like, you know, Josh Allen, had he not gotten better, I mean, he still seems like you know. When you watch the the people like you and you know some of the guys who break down film every Monday, like still throw some pretty bad yeah. passes. <laughs> but overall, has just been better, and the teams look good, and all that. Like it, you can walk away from the guy who was picked at seven. You can walk away from wherever Trubisky was picked after two. Of the, how long do you think the Browns, with the given how good the rest of the roster really is right now? can sit around and wait for somebody like Mayfield. Like The Rams didn't have to solve that problem because they made them good enough for Goff, and Goff got them where they're going. Clearly, he can make it work, Um, even if you don't like the guy. He's a good quarterback, and it works there. How long can they give Baker Mayfield?
1: uh, I mean, until the length. I wouldn't extend him you know, at this point, I think that they'll give him until the end of his rookie contract. I I would be shocked, you know, if they gave him like a massive, massive deal that, you know, made him one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. I'd be shocked because he just hasn't proved it yet. You know, it's unfortunate again, because he's had so much instability to this point, but I think you give him maybe this year, you maybe do what, you know, you just saw, um, like you just referenced Chicago doing, bringing a veteran to kind of challenge him or someone to push him potentially. But you know, I wouldn't give up this year. Next year is probably the extent of it, though. Especially with you know the roster that they have in place right now, mm-hmm. they can't afford the way They they need to be contending with Pittsburgh, contending with Baltimore right now. There's no reason why the show. Who is win. their back? Who came in for him? Case Keenum.
2: Who yeah, used to play in your pants game? Minnesota. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've, I've seen that experience up close. That is not going to do it. Because you don't want it, you don't want to have to go
0: out and sign a free agent quarterback like that. That's that you, you that's do if his name is Cam Newton. But yeah, other
1: than that, but like, but, but
0: that's not that's signing a free agent quarterback on like off the discount rack and all the that. like. That's not how you want to have to like you don't want to have to go sign Kirk Cousins. Is kind of what I'm getting. At. Right. Like that's right. signing quarterbacks in the open market is just and you don't know how well they're going to do in your system.
2: Like it's it's, yeah, it's,
0: it's got to be the most terrifying thing. Well, you
2: especially don't want to have to sign like a Kirk Cousins if the reason you're signing him is your number one overall pick at quarterback didn't work out. Like that's really the reason you don't want to do it.
1: Yeah, no, you don't. And I mean like the quarterback crop, you know, upcoming in this, you know, free agent class, maybe a Jacoby Brissett is, is a guy that you look like. Nice. If Matt Ryan, if, if he gets cut by Atlanta or even, you know, like Dak Prescott, if, you know, Dallas somehow screws this up and does not, you know, choose to resign him, I mean, he would be a pretty good fit there too. But I mean, even, even Jameis Winston, I mean, there there's guys that they can bring in to potentially push, you know, Baker to, you know, hopefully achieve whatever they want him to achieve. Uh,
2: we got a question from miles duvet, my guy, Kalen, it's miles, big question. How do you begin to fix the organizational failure? That is my jets. Oh, I have an answer, but you go first.
1: Well, I mean, you know, the, I'm sure that the answer is the same as you. It's remove Adam Gates. I mean, that that's kind of the problem right now. But at the same time. But not yet. <laughs> not yet. No, not yet. You've that's got, you've got you, 10 more games before out. you can do that. Yep. You've got to write it out. you got to write it out throughout the rest of the year. You have draft picks. You'll probably get the number one pick. Select, you know, Trevor Lawrence and then move forward. You know, it's really the only way is to kind of just kind of it's it's a lame season lame duck season they're gonna go on, uh, there's a really strong chance to go on 16 so i'm sorry miles that's my guy thanks like, Miles. like shouts out to him but
0: <laughs> they're catastrophically are they catastrophically awful or is it, this really is like uh, like are they doing this on purpose like it was a combination of like let's put together a terrible roster and keep adam GaSe, or are they worse than they thought they would be
1: well, they're definitely worse than they thought they would be, and at this point, I feel like it's it's got to be. Intense. They literally just you know let go of Steve McClendon, who literally was a captain for them, one of their best defensive players. I wouldn't be shocked if you know you see them you know discard a few more players before the trade deadline. But you know, like that being said, like this is just you know institutional failure. I don't know how else to put it. They they failed as a franchise to you know kind of build on whatever vision. That Adam Gates laid out in front of them when he first got hired. It just has not come to fruition. The fact that Adam Gase was, you know, you know, hyped up as being a outstanding offensive coordinator has failed to elevate Sam Darnold to any sort of competence at this point. You know, it, it's just I, I don't know what else to say other than it's a failure. <laughs> it's is, um,
0: is Le'Veon Bell still a decent player? Because you know, obviously that didn't work for all kinds of reasons, including, you know, Adam Gase didn't apparently uh, by all the reporting, didn't even want the guy, which, you know, yeah. whether he's smart or not, or good or not, you can't sign a free agent like that that your coach doesn't want. It's just not going to work. But, like, is is he going to go to Kansas City and eventually, you know, once he gets his feet under him and all that, be a really productive player still? Or, I mean, you know, is... Is that a sign of the Jets being bad at Hypothetically
2: speaking, you took Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, number one uh, in your fantasy draft, and you built your team somewhat around him, hypothetically speaking. Should you be concerned about the presence of Le'Veon Bell? Again, not asking apropos of anything in particular. For a friend.
0: Asking for a
1: friend. <laughs> if that friend is me. Um, yeah, I'm that <laughs> friend. So, I mean, look at. Le'Veon Bell's going to have some type of impact. He's going to get snaps, you know, within that offense. I think that he's still got something in the tank. He's only 28 years old. This is a guy who's able to, you know, be a dual threat running back where, you know, in in the mold of kind of, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, where he was able to catch out of the backfield. You know, the Chiefs have not shied away from splitting out Hilaire, you know, Edwards Hilaire out wide. They haven't shied away from putting him in the slot. I think that there's opportunity for Bell to kind of have a similar role. And there's a chance that, you know, Eric Biannimi mean, and Andy Reid, they get creative and you put them on the field at the same time. I think there's a potential for that, too. Because Le'Veon Bell just, I know it was four years ago with Pittsburgh, but now he's in a similarly high-powered offense. This guy almost had 2,000 yards from scrimmage in a single year. So I think that that maybe he doesn't reach that all-pro potential again, but he's going to be a productive player within the system. I don't if know they're if on the field coach, at
2: though. the same time, who gets the carries? <laughs> like, who gets the ball, if you had to guess? And Patrick why Mahomes. is it Clyde? Why is it Clyde?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why would it be Clyde? I mean, he's, he's been productive. That's the thing. Clyde Edward helaire has not been a bad player. He's been a very good player. I know. <laughs> and it, it's frustrating. I'm sure I am frustrated too. Like, look, it, you don't take away the best running backs here. But at the same time, look, it, for the Chiefs, you know, this is, I, I wrote about it the other day, like, this is kind of, you know, following the script of what dynasties do. You look at New England over the past, you know, 20 years, literally all the signs that they had, dating from Rodney Harrison all the way to Antonio Brown that's how the best team stayed the best it's by, so, you know, getting talent and kind of right. letting it ride.
0: <laughs> Side note to this. How do you, how many leagues do you play in? Do you play? I know a lot of, some writers
1: don't. Oh, I do, but you okay. know, like it, I have, I had three leagues, but one was once with coworkers, which I did horrible in ones with friends from college, which dominating and have Clydes Edwards who layer though. So I'm upset about that. And then the other yes. one is in dynasty league. So not too concerned about them, but <laughs> so
0: at the beginning of every season, how many calls do you get about should I draft this Man. guy? Should I not? I don't even I don't even cover football, and people yeah. ask me like, me they, too. Still, "Oh, he works in sports. Surely he knows who I should draft in my fantasy oh, league."
1: My gosh, I got so many DMs this year. This is the first year I've ever gotten DMs from like multiple <laughs> people asking who I should draft in their fantasy league. And I always get ca- I, I get friends who ask me stuff like that too, and I'll, I cap it at three because I just can't do it anymore. I always get friends asking, "Hey, Jordan, my you drunk?" I'm like, "I just can't." It's,
0: I you got to be careful. You can lose <laughs> you can lose friends. Like I, um, you know, Jordan Rodriguez who covers the Rams for the Athletic. Yeah, does a yeah, great yeah, job Um, she, you know, so we're about half. Andy and I are in a draft with some friends of ours out here in a league and that we've been in for like 20 years, and. So I get to like the sixth or seventh round. We've reached the part of the draft where literally none of these people look even moderately appealing. And so I, I texted her and I'm like, "What's should I draft Cam Akers? She said, yes. And then Cam got hurt and then he didn't carry the ball at all last week. And I, it's yeah. not a coincidence that Jordan has not appeared on our show since that happened since I, you know, she was on before and then I made that pick and then she hasn't been on. She's after. a great guest yeah, she's too. She's wonderful. <laughs> she's, I mean, incredibly knowledge, knowledgeable yeah. about football, very enthusiastic. Uh, the audience loves her. Uh, they, they, always learn things about the Rams and the NFC when she's on and she can't come on again. Cause she told me to draft cam Akers, And to this point it hasn't worked out. So I'm just, like, this is very important. The advice you give people,
1: it is, and it's kind of that's the thing. That's why I'm so wary about giving people advice because you know if I'm wrong, all because again, like because of an injury, like I can't control that. I didn't know they were going to get hurt. Then you have someone yelling in your mentions about didn't why you, you were the worst. Didn't you? <laughs> yes, the media conspired to <laughs> your specific fantasy player. Yes, it's, um, all, <laughs> it's all
2: part of the deep state. Um, be- deep before we, uh, I want to get to the Raiders in a bit because you actually you wrote a. Good piece about the the Raiders coming off that big win over KC and sort of where, where they stand now. And in particular, like David Carr's or excuse me, Derek Carr's progress. But David Carr is not progressing at all. No, no. You want to talk about wrong place, wrong time in your Dude, he but
0: he was a great he's a perfect example of what we were talking about before. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that yep. that that guy was like a war veteran by the time he was done with with the Texans. I mean, he was just like shell-shocked. Constantly, and I don't blame him. I mean, I, everywhere he went, like he couldn't move without somebody looking at Terrace. You, can't, his, head you off. can't
0: learn to step into a throw when you're
2: playing behind that line for that long. It just doesn't work. <laughs> but um, I, I wanted to ask you with, with the Chiefs and uh Eric uh, Eric Manami. Um, there's always talk about him and his head coaching prospects, and and we we're just talking about Le'Veon Bell getting added to this already incredibly loaded roster and Ever since he became the OC there, they, they've had so much talent. Do you think, in some ways, I mean, there, we we know and it's well documented how a lot of times black OCs, DCs, all that have difficulty rising to the level of head coach. And you know, it's something the league professes, if nothing else, to be trying to do something about. I, I don't think it's necessarily that difficult to solve if you're actually looking to solve it. But, I mean, it's not that hard. Um, Hire people. (laughs) But But I'm wondering if in his specific case, beyond mm -hmm. that particular issue, could he be perceived as having too many weapons almost for his own good in terms of like trying to gauge what he actually can do? Just because, I mean, like you're looking at a guy that your base is with Mahomes who can turn anything into a potential like 30 to 40 yard gain. And then all the receivers, the backs that they've had, like Mm. if if in some ways he doesn't get enough credit because he has so many weapons and you you wonder, well, you give anybody those type of weapons, they're going to have success too.
1: Oh, yeah. No, he totally, you know, doesn't get credit, you know, in part because of the roster, but also because he's, you know, coaching under Andy Reid. And then again because he kind of is a black coach. I mean, we know who Josh McDaniels is. We've always known, who Josh, like, all of Bill Belichick's assistants are always hyped up, and you know, they only end up getting coaching jobs, and they're good at their jobs, a lot of them. But at the same time, the enemy, like, for he, he doesn't get enough credit in part. Like you mentioned, they have so many weapons. Like you said, Mahomes can kind of do his thing. They have literally duplicates at every single position on offense outside of their offensive line. And then, again, you're coaching under Andy Reid, who has always been considered to be one of the best NFL head coaches. So I'm sure that a lot of the spotlight that should be, you know, given to the enemy at this point, hasn't been directed his way. I'm, you know, and and I'm sure in some ways he doesn't mind, but he deserves a head coaching job at this point. He's proven that he can operate and execute, you know, create a system that can execute and keep confusing defenses at the same time because Patrick Mahomes hasn't played at an entirely high level. still Patrick Mahomes, but they're winning because of the scheme.
2: Well, but it's just, it's funny though, because he's obviously creative with those schemes, but he's got a quarterback who is in his own right, incredibly creative. So those lines in terms of where the the creativity originates and how much of the creativity success begins with the blueprint versus begins with the foundation of Mahomes. You just, especially for organizations that always are skittish about taking perceived chances. And, you know, as you were saying before, why it would be a chance with him and not Josh McDaniels. Or, is, you is know, why, a, why
0: is it a taking a chance to hire Eric Biennium but not
2: hire Adam Gase again? <laughs> right. I mean, like the, these are these are separate questions, very separate, very important questions. Yeah. But in this particular case, you wonder if if just he's a little bit too loaded with his options for his own good.
1: Yeah. And again, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where your reception, your perception is, you know, just ultimately greater than what you were doing. People are going to see it and say, oh, the reason why you were successful is because you started, you know, on second base at this point. And he has started on second base, but look, he's swiped third and he's still home at this point. And it's why they won a Super Bowl last year. And, you know, without Eric the on that staff, I mean, he's been a part of the organization since 2013. So the under- to think that he hasn't gleaned anything from Andy Reid, and you know, on his own, in particular, ever since the Alex Smith days and even before that, um, it is kind of you know disrespectful, in my opinion, because the results are there; it's been proven. So I'm I'm shocked that at this point, you know, BN, at least during this past off season, Vienna didn't end up you know with a new team, but he's certainly been a key cog, in my opinion, you know, for why they are where they are right now.
0: So, you would expect, do we go another offseason where he doesn't? I mean, I mean, I, I guess you're also penalized too with long postseason runs and all that kind of stuff. Coaches get snapped up before that. Do you expect another offseason to go by where he doesn't get hired?
1: Oh, no, I, I don't think so. There, there's too many openings that are coming up, especially when you look at what Atlanta and Houston provided. They are not on the phone, you know, trying to finesse the way to talk to the enemy right now. <laughs> then they, they're missing out, especially with Deshaun Watson. I'd be shocked if Houston ended up signing. I I think that'd be a travesty. I'd love to see him paired up with them.
2: Well, I mean, it, it. I would say if by next season he does not have a head coaching job, then the whole Rooney Rule like needs to be reexamined. Like seriously, what what are we doing? Like yeah. really, like what? Because I mean, he is easily a, among the handful of most qualified guys who should be in this opportunity, if not the most. So I mean, you you really would have to wonder why it wouldn't happen. He must be either the absolute worst interview you've ever seen in your life, like he can't put two sentences together, or (laughs) these teams need to get past whatever it is preventing him from hiring because obviously the guy's mind uh, as somebody who would create offenses is pretty off the charts. Um, Hey, before Andy, before you do the Raiders thing, um, I want to ask
0: real quick about Tua. Because that's the other big news oh, yeah. this weekend was we've been talking about quarterbacks. And you know, Fitzpatrick has played pretty good. And you know, yeah. the the Dolphins have been surprisingly um surprisingly good, uh three and three and you know, competitive and kind of fun to watch. <laughs> good is surprising. Oh, yeah. Well, but but also still in that place where you look at even in expanded playoffs, maybe they can get in, but they're not gonna win the Super Bowl. Uh, I think everybody right. so it's it's not a crazy thing to say, oh, you know, to just say let's just let Tua play now. Um, how good do you think he can be this year? I mean, we've seen the the learning curve for quarterbacks is much different than it used to be. Joe Burrow has been effective this yeah. year. Lamar Jackson was effective pretty quickly once he got to play. You know, Mahomes, obviously, once he got to play was Pat Mahomes. Kyler Murray last year. Sure. Was great. I mean, just yeah. the, the era of, of, yeah, the quarterback's got to sit and learn for two or three years seems to be over. So how fast do you think Tua can be effective?
1: I think immediately from the jump, I, I I would be shocked if, you know, Tua doesn't prove that, you know, he's, you know, at least competent playing in the NFL. I think it'll take him, make, you know, I think getting him in the game last week was kind of important, especially, you know, going into the bye week. They get now two weeks for him to kind of acclimate to everything. I think that he'll be immediately productive just because of the offensive system and his comfort at this point. He's, you know, been able to sit behind Fitzpatrick. From by all accounts from Fitzpatrick, you know, jumping on Shepard's podcast, from what I heard there, he sounds like he's really gone out of his way to, you know, teach to the system and walk them through everything, you know, with that nurturing and then with, you know, the talent that's really around them. They have a pretty solid receiving corpse. When you talk about Devontae Parker, Mike Izecki, um, I think that he'll immediately from the jump be able to produce because we've seen what Fitzpatrick can do. Granted, he's a little bit more of an aggressive passer. I, you know, I, I think what we saw you know, Alabama won't be, you know, the immediate re- result, but I think that Tua should be effective, you know, from day one.
2: How high do you think his ceiling is?
1: Wow, that's a really good question. Cause, you know, there's so many high ceiling quarterbacks in this past draft. I don't, I, I always thought he had the highest floor, but I, I think that his ceiling could, you know, end up being, you know, in that upper tier of quarterbacks. You know, he could be in that top 10, top 15. And, Arguably, you know if he if he does figure everything out, they, especially if they figure out their the line, he could probably push the top five.
0: High floor, though. I, I, I it's interesting you said high floor is totally underrated. Like yeah. when we talk about these guys not sucking, like it's it's really important that you don't whiff. Like if your guy turns yep. out to be, you know, a tier two quarterback instead of tier one, we've seen a lot of tier two guys go to the Super Bowl, including the quarterback in LA. Um, but if he turns out to be someone you gotta move on from in three years, you're screwed. So if floor matters a lot, how much attention does floor get? Or do they look more at upside when they when they draft these guys?
1: I don't think he gets enough because look at um, I mean, we could literally look at that, the Baker Mayfield example. We could look at the Josh Rosen example. There's just so many guys where their floor, you know, just as an eye, you know, unfortunately. And some of these guys just get picked because of what they could potentially do. Like the arm talent is tantalizing. You know, we've seen them produce at a high level, but you know, will it translate to the next level? I think that's one of the biggest questions that always, you know, is kind of uniform in you know determining whether or not guys succeed at the next level. It's whether or not they'll be able to perform. You know, their skills will translate. You know, in the NFL, like accuracy is the biggest one. Tua's is Tua is extremely accurate. He's one of the most accurate quarterbacks I think I've ever seen. You know, I'm not. Hyperbolic, like he is literally one of the most accurate quarterbacks. Granted, he had a lot of you know talent to play at Alabama, but he was always putting the ball in the money, and that always you know kind of stuck with me as far as like evaluating him. So I think that he's going to have success at the next level. Right? Sp- is
2: speaking of putting the ball in the money, uh, Derek Carr looks like he's-, nice he's paced. Thank you, thank you, professional seg. He looks like he's paced to have a career season. And, you know, the last couple of years, there's been a lot of speculation about, you know, John Gruden's commitment to him. Does he even like having Carr there? And you wrote a piece for the Ringer um, coming off that win they had over KC in Arrowhead. Like, we've spent a lot of time with the Raiders because they've had one winning season since 2002. Speculating as to whether or not, you know, they're turning a corner, whether or not they're on the verge of something. But does it feel like the Raiders at 3-2 and two have perhaps turned a corner and they're on the verge of something?
1: Um, I wouldn't say this season because, you know, 2016, 2017, whichever year that, you know, the Raiders went 12-4 and four and Carr unfortunately broke his leg. I mean, that, that was a year where it felt tangible, like the Raiders were turning a corner. I think this year for John Gruden's regime, it's been more of, you know, a proving that they're com- you know, competitive. They're able to push and buy for a playoff spot. I don't know if, you know, that counts as turning a corner. Because, you know, in the first couple of years of his... Did you, know, did you hear the thing I Mark, said
2: about one winning season since 2002? I mean, yeah. It, it
1: kind of counts. <laughs> it kind of does. Because this past... At least the back half of the last decade, in part because of Carr, there was, you know, the hope. I, I watched the Raiders a lot. Like, they, they, there there was a sensation like the Raiders were turning a court and it just did not happen. But I don't think this is the year where they make a solid jump into the tier where they will buy for a, play, like solid, solid, solidly, forgive me, uh, buy for a playoff spot. <laughs> but I mean, maybe that's next year. I think that Carr, you know, his development, what he's been able to do as far as, you know, complete completion rate is big. What he's been able to do as far as pushing the ball has been even more impressive with the addition of Henry Ruggs in their office and Nelson Aguilar. I think that's helped them out a lot as far as being willing to, you know, play in shootouts where they can score 40 points in a game. So I think as long as he keeps that up, they have a chance to reach the playoffs. But I think it just needs to be a little bit more consistent as far as him being willing to push the ball downfield, be aggressive. I think that's really the next step for their offense.
2: You you had mentioned – Oh, go ahead. uh, Really really quick, Brian. You had mentioned in this piece that you thought John Gruden's play calling this season has been excellent so far in the first five games. What about it in particular have you liked?
1: Just the balance. I think calling the shot, at least – Especially in the New Orleans game. I think that was a really good example. Where The times where they chose to run the football and the times where they were calling shots you know, within the intermediate game and also downfield, it's just been exceptional. You saw them in the Kansas City game. The timing of their deep shots has been great, where they've asked Carter to push the ball downfield. Because throughout his career, he just has not been willing to do that. And they've been able to pick their spots. And really take advantage of defenses where they're kind of lulled and sleeping, in part because of the play action game. And that starts with what they're doing up front. I know that people don't believe that establishing the run helps play action, but you know what they're able to do on their ground game really influences what cars able to do in the passing game. All
0: right, so fill in the blank here before we let you go. The the John Gruden thing is going blank than I expected. It
1: it's going. It's going better than I expected. I didn't expect them to be competitive. You know, at this point, you know, within his tank. I, I was not expecting that at all. I thought it would be, you know, kind of, you know, four or five years of them toiling around the bottom of the league. They're squarely in the middle. It's just whether or not they're going to, you know, fall on the positive side where they're reaching in the playoffs or whether they're, you know, reaching in the top ten of the NFL draft, So better than I expected.
2: Yeah. That that was I remember that hire, you know, that what was it, ten years, a hundred million dollars, yeah. Which, I mean the the notion of just how many years would that contract last before the Raiders were eventually eating it, um, eat it was, right? Was part of the speculation, and you know, J- John Gruden has become such a cult of personality, but it also been away from the game for so long, you you wondered if he was going to be able to adjust to where the game was now. And also, too, like how much of the John Gruden persona and Kool-Aid that, you know, a lot of it was created through television. Like how much of that did Gruden himself buy into? And if the answer was a lot, is it too much? But I think it is fair to say, even as somebody who was outwardly skeptical of that hire, it is going better than I expected. I, I have to admit it is.
1: Yeah, same here. And, and part of it is, you know, even weirdly enough, I, I was skeptical of the Mike Mayo hire. And even that, the team building has gone a lot better than I expected. This is a team that kind of, you know… They've used,
0: the, they've used all those picks pretty well. It seems It's obviously early. Yeah. You don't know for sure. But, like, it, it does seem like they're drafting well. You trade Khalil Mack, you better draft well yeah. and take advantage of that stuff. And it seems like they have. Um, I, I do want to live in a world where the Raiders are good. It's always more fun if the Raiders are good at football,
2: but, um,
1: I've only lived in it so long to see that. So it is, it is
2: kind of fun when they're terrible. I'm not going to lie. It is. Yeah. The uh, Raiders
0: average is bad.
2: Yes. They're
0: like the Lakers. The Lakers, basketball is more fun when the Lakers are good. Like, it's just, people hate them and they don't like cheering for the Lakers. They don't like rooting for them. But like, it, it is a better basketball universe when the Lakers are good. The alternative is when the Lakers are trash. And Andy and I hosted how many years of post game shows, Andy? When they were trash, five or six, five or six. Like we (laughs) didn't get the good. Like, how do you have a franchise, Kalen, that does nothing but win titles and this and that, whatever? And Andy and I get the only parts where they are in the draft lottery every year. Uh, I was going to say you guys
1: didn't enjoy the Robert Sacre era.
0: I mean, we did. Good dude. dude. I mean, nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) Checks cleared, but no. Um. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, like, but when they're average, when the Lakers are average, it's boring. And when the Raiders are average, it's boring. Um, Last question, just quick answer. Who wins the NFC East?
1: Oh, I hope no one. Can we just (laughs) find a way so that nobody can win that? Um, I'll take the Eagles, but.
0: At what record?
1: five and eleven or you know wow, five, 10 and one awesome. five ten and one right they're five yeah. 10 and one what was that model I saw ESPN did their FBI thing and 66 percent of the time like well there was a six win and there were less team making the ball. Oh, that's it's amazing disgusting.
0: I would love that
2: the the so, problem they're gonna have is that tie may come back to bite them in the ass like that that's actually potentially... Oh, no, they'll,
0: they'll tie three or four more games this year they're gonna be the oh. Eagles will win the division at like two. 10 and 4. <laughs> so I can't do the math, but it'd, it'd be something like that. Oh, that'd be ridiculous. Three, six, and eight. <laughs> Whatever is. Is I, gross, I'm picturing that. Gross. Gross. <laughs> no, that's fun. That's fun. Um, all right. Kalen Jones does a fantastic job covering the NFL for the ringer. You can see I didn't get through all of my list. So. Oh, sorry.
1: I rambled. Left so. some
0: no, it's no, not rambling, but it means uh, we'll need to have you back sometime. Uh, Absolutely. If you can. Um, this is a lot of fun. Thank yeah, you very, very much sure, for coming man. on. Thank you. We have to do the part uh, where we. You got anything coming out while I pull this up, where you can promote the other people. Anything else you want to mention?
1: Yeah. Oh me? Yeah, yeah. I have, uh, I have a. You know, I'm just writing about the the Bears this week about how surprising they've been. They have really good defense, and then I'm jumping on the Ringer NFL show. So listen oh, to that awesome. Catch me there. Right, there. You go. <laughs>
0: Um, cool. We got a lot of baseball and stuff coming up tomorrow night. Elsie Granderson from ESPN and the LA Times columnist there. Done some just great work over the last few months. We'll be joining us. Pedro Mora on Thursday covers the Dodgers for the Athletic. And then Friday, Lindsey Fulton and Greg Bergman will be breaking down game four. Andy, could be a sweep. Could be a sweep. It won't yeah, be a Tampa yeah. sweep. That right. much we know. It would be pretty um, cool
2: if it was a sweep. So a lot of World
0: Series stuff coming up this week. Thanks again to Caleb Jones from The Ringer. We'll see everybody tomorrow.
2: Dank je